Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Do you know what we learned from this? God keeps all of his promises. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Well, today we'll return to the Onward series as Pastor Trent leads us to the book of Joshua. Last time in this series, we learned from the life of Caleb what it means to live a life of old faith. As we'll hear in today's message, there are times our faith is challenged as we wait for God's promises. Have you had times when you've wondered when God would make good on His promises? Do you ever wonder what you're supposed to do while you wait? Well, let's listen now as Pastor Trent teaches that sometimes we must fight to take possession of what God has promised. With a message called, How to Prevent Civil War, here's Pastor Trent. Open your Bibles. Where would you think I would ask you to open your Bibles? Wrong. I want you to open your Bibles to, wait for it, the maps. Open your Bible to the maps. I'm serious. Get your Bible. Have you ever wondered what those were there for? Those were there for this sermon. You're going to preach from the maps? Yes. Once you find the maps, then you can open to Joshua chapter 21. I'll meet you there in just a moment. Hey, the title of the message today is How to Prevent Civil War. The lesson of Joshua is there's always more ground to take. There's a place of rest that God wants you to abide in, but you have to fight for it. And so we're going to see that. But here's the overarching truth of the message today. Victorious people lose everything when we fight among ourselves. Think about all the ground that we have seen taken by Joshua and Israel. They crossed over Jordan. They've been involved in all these different battles. Their, their, their battle record is like 37 and one. They had that one little defeat with AI. But, but other than that, they've been taking ground. They've been conquering enemies. And we come to chapter 22, and we're gonna find out that there was a temptation when every other enemy had been defeated to turn on themselves. And when victorious people turn on themselves, they lose everything that they have previously fought for. So did you find the maps? Did anybody find a map that looks like this? That is ancient Israel in the time of Joshua. And you you remember God wanted them to cross over the Jordan River. The most prominent feature on this map is the Jordan River. If you can see it, it's kind of the line that runs vertically. It flows from the Sea of Galilee in the north, and the water flows to the south and ends up in the Dead Sea. That Jordan River was a very important geographical feature in the book of Joshua. We've referred to it many times here, but what we're going to find out today is that that actually posed a danger. Now, the reason I had you turn to your maps is because the last message that we looked at was actually in Joshua chapter 14. That was the last time we were together. 
I've asked you to open to chapter 21. What happened in the seven chapters that we skipped? That happened. That's all that happened. If you read those seven chapters, it's just land distribution. It looks like a title deed at the county courthouse. It's this tribe went there, and they took that, and this tribe went over there, and it gives us a bunch of lists of names. It's easier just to show you a map. That's what happened in those seven chapters. Now, it's important to understand there were 12 tribes of Israel. Nine and a half of those tribes took possession of land on the western side of the Jordan River. Two and a half tribes took possession of land on the eastern side of the Jordan River. As we begin to read, we're going to find out that Joshua was concerned about that particular division of land. Okay, so we're going to walk through this here. Now you can turn back to Joshua chapter 21. Here's the first thing that we're going to see. Chapter 21, verses 43 through 45. Peace is precious. Enjoy it. Let's read here. Joshua 21, beginning in verse 43. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. If you were paying attention, we read the word all five times. Do you know what we learned from this? is that God keeps all of His promises. All in favor of God keeping promises He's made? Yeah. But here's the truth of Scripture. God keeps all of His promises, but I must take possession of all that God has promised. Do you get it? There's a promise and there's a fight to take possession of what God has promised. And so it's this divine human cooperative that we see in Scripture. And notice, there is no rest, there is no peace without a fight. The lesson of the book of Joshua is that there is a war for peace. And even in our own hearts, we have to fight for, to believe the good promises that God has made to us. But it's okay to enjoy it. We finally come to the end of chapter 21. After all the war, after all the fighting, after all the bloodshed, there were no more enemies to fight. The tribes took possession of that which God had promised. You say, okay, enough about ancient Israel. What does this have to do with me? Good question. Do you know that there are certain tribes in this room right now? There are tribes. And there are tribes that occupy one land. Let me, let me just kind of illustrate this. I'm looking down here on the front row, and I just cannot get over the fact that Bryce and Jordan are sitting here on the front row. Now, Bryce and Jordan have been sitting here on the front row in the 9 o'clock service for about a year, and I've watched them. You, Bryce used to sit over there, and Jordan used to sit over there. Now, they've just been sitting down here. And... Um, and when were you guys married? Uh, three weeks ago. Three weeks ago. All in favor of Bryce and Jordan going for another three weeks? Raise your hand. Okay, good. You going to make it? Great. What has happened is two tribes have come together to form one marriage. 
But how many of those of you who have been married longer, you just plug your ears right now, you've been married longer than three weeks, have at times found that the two tribes can actually start fighting against one another when they should be locking arms and setting their crosshairs on a common enemy that opposes them and fight for each other rather than against each other. You see, the tribe of the husbands sometimes declares war on the tribes of the wives. And victorious people lose everything when we begin to fight with one another. We're here. We're all Americans. Some of you may be illegal, but welcome to America. You know, we're all we're Americans. And yet what happens? One nation under God can at times become polarized. And those that would be of the tribe of the Republicans declare war on the tribe of the Democrats. Sometimes the Republicans declare war on other Republicans. And, and that's have you noticed that we begin to fight with one another? And churches are made up of all kinds of different tribes. People that come from very conservative backgrounds or very progressive backgrounds. Some of you are of the older tribe. Sometimes you declare war on those of the younger tribe. And the greatest threat to God's people is often God's people. We begin to fight among ourselves rather than fighting together to defeat a common enemy. All kinds of tribes declaring war on one another. The tribe of Captain America declaring war on the tribe of Iron Man. You get civil wars just everywhere. If we're not careful, we will, un we will not identify the true enemy. But when a people understand that there is a promised peace for us to enjoy, we've got to protect it. And that's really the second thing we're going to learn here. The heart is vulnerable. We must protect it. Look here in chapter 22. We're going to work through this chapter as well. Look at verse 1. Here's what happened. By the way, you would expect after all the nice, wonderful verses we just read at the end of chapter 21... You would just kind of expect the book of Joshua to end there. That would be a nice way to end the book, right? God, they took possession of all that God had promised. Oh, that's just wonderful. Let's just stop right there. But there's a chapter 22, verse 1. At that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now, those three tribes were the tribes that had taken possession on the eastern side of the Jordan. Watch what happened, verse 2. And he said to them, you have kept all that, that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful. Underline those two words in verse 3. You have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. Let me tell you what, was, what, what, what Joshua was identifying. Joshua was honoring these two and a half tribes. Seven years prior to this event, all 12 tribes were commanded to cross over Jordan to the western side and defeat all the enemies that dwelled on the other side of Jordan. But the two and a half tribes who had land on the eastern side 
had to cross over and fight for land that they actually would never possess. They went over and fought for their neighboring tribes. It was an incredible act of love and sacrifice and loyalty and unity. And Joshua is acknowledging it. You have been careful. You have been so faithful. And then he says this in verse 4. He says, And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore, turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave on the other side of Jordan. And so he's honoring them. You know what? In a church, in a marriage, in a family, in a nation, there are times that you must fight for your neighbors, often at great risk. If you're a mother here today, you know there's times you have to fight for your children when they're not even willing to fight. If you're a wife, you have to fight for your marriage. If you are a citizen of America, you have to fight for your country, often when others in the country are trying to tear it down. But most importantly to us, we must fight for the unity in this church. We must fight for the glory of God, and I see it happen all the time. Those of you that occasionally throw into the offering, do you know what that's signifying? I'm in this fight. I, I, I'm going to fund the ministries around here, even for some of the people that don't ever throw in. You're fighting for territory, spiritual territory, in the lives of other people. Those of you that pray for other people in this church to take their next step onward in faith toward the Lord, you're fighting a battle in prayer for people. Those of you that come and hold babies that don't belong to you, you know what you're doing? You're fighting for the families in this church that need their children to be discipled by the Lord. Those of you that serve in student ministry, those of you that park cars and open doors, everybody comes together to fight for some territory that you might not actually even occupy. That's what the two and a half tribes that dwelled on the eastern side of Jordan did for the nine and a half tribes that would dwell on the western side of Jordan. It's a great example to us that we're to fight for one another. But then I want you to notice verse 5. This is Joshua. Now, if you have a godly mother, how many of you have a godly mother? If you have a godly mother, you have echoing in your ear the voice of your mother saying something like, this. Only be very careful. How many of you hear that voice right now? You can hear your mother's voice saying that. This is Joshua speaking to these two and a half tribes are, who are now going off to possess land. Do you remember this when you went off to college? Do you remember this when you got your driver's license and you're your, your mother recognizes that she's not going to be there to hold your hand or to pay your bills or to box your ears. That's what my mom used to say when you stepped out of line, right? And so Joshua is giving them a warning. It goes like this, only be very careful. Verse 
3, he said, you have been very careful. Verse 5, looking forward, be very careful to observe the commandment of the law of Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded to you to love the Lord your God and to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments and to cling to Him and serve Him with all your heart and all your soul. Do you hear the voice of a godly mother in those statements? Right. What is Joshua pleading for? Joshua is pleading for them to be as passionate about loving God as they were when they were closer to the source of truth. Joshua recognized that with geographical distance, there is a propensity for theological drift. And there was going to be this geographical boundary, a water feature, the Jordan River, that was going to, in a sense, divide the two and a half tribes from the nine and a half tribes. And Joshua understands with geographical distance, there is a propensity to theological drift. And so he gives them these six warnings. The first thing he says is observe the commandments. Do you know what he's saying? Read the book. God has spoken. He has entered into time and space to tell us what we are to do with his lives. Allow the words, the commandments of God to define what you believe and to determine how you behave. Get your eyes on the book. Observe the commandment. Then he tells them, don't just observe them, but he says, you are to love the Lord your God. Some of you are so faithful, you come to church, it's your exercise, you know you're supposed to be in church, so you come and you're so faithful and you throw in the offering and you serve and you go through the motions of religion. Can I ask you a question? Do you love the Lord? It's not just about packing information in your head. It is to ignite a love for God. Do you love Jesus? Not just give passive approval to him, but to love him with all your heart. And then he says, not just loving God, but walking in his ways. Do you know the difference between the ways of God and the acts of God? Not just what God does, but why he does those things. That your heart is to walk in his ways and whatever his ways are, that's the ways that I want to walk in. And then he says, keep his commandments. Again, don't just know something, but do something. Let the guardrails of his commandments govern the direction of your life. And then he says, I love this, cling to him. Joshua recognizes there are going to be forces on the other side of the Jordan River that are going to attempt to pull you away from God. Cling to God. No matter how much force is put upon you to let go. No matter what, never let go of the Lord. And then finally, he says, serve him. Notice, with all your heart and all your soul. You know what Joshua was saying? It's not about taking possession of the land anymore. It's no longer about the land. Now the battle is going to be for every square inch of your heart and every square inch of your soul. Isn't that the battle that you're in? 
We talk about a civil war. Isn't there sometimes a civil war going on in your heart between the spirit that wants to obey God and the flesh that wants to please itself? If you're like me, there's a war going on for my heart all the time. And so the heart is vulnerable. You have to protect it. That's what Joshua is saying here. And then this, accusations are divisive. Avoid them. Now, up until now, it's been a nice story. In verse 10, it's going to get nasty. Notice in verse 10. When they came to the region of the Jordan that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, those were those eastern tribes, they built an altar. Underline the word altar in verse 10. They built an altar by the Jordan, and it was an altar of imposing size. So... Here's the problem. If you understand God's regulations on worship, there was to be only one place of worship that provided exclusive access to God. That altar was in a place called Shiloh. Now, if I had the map back up, you could actually see Shiloh was exactly geographically centered among all the tribes. The center of Israel was the place of worship. And here, the two and a half eastern tribes built their own altar. That was a problem. And I want you to see the accusation that was made was one of idolatry. Look in verse 11. And the people of Israel heard it, and they said, Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people, the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. They declared war on the two and a half tribes that went over on the other side of the Jordan. Listen, just days earlier, everybody was fighting with one another, for one another. Now they are declaring war against one another. And so the accusation was made that these Eastern tribes had drifted from the theological center, and now they're making their own altars, which is equivalent to idolatry. That's how serious this accusation was. So we're going to learn some lessons here about how to prevent a civil war, because what they do next is very, very important. Here's what we're going to learn for us as well, lessons from Joshua 22. The first thing is this. If you're going to prevent a civil war, you have to keep the main thing the main thing. Albert Moeller is the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He has written a book in which he has talked about something called theological triage. Do you know about triage? If you've only got one doctor... And into the emergency room walks a man with a gunshot wound and a woman with a broken arm 
and a boy with a scraped knee. Which one do you treat first? You just did theo- you just did medical triage. Triage is a French word that means to sort. What you have to do is you have to decide which one of these is of first order importance here and who's going to get the most urgent care. Well, when we talk about issues of doctrine, differences that we might have doctrinally, even within a church, within denominations, even within a culture, we have to do some theological triage or we will always be declaring war on one another. And so you kind of have to do some sorting out of some different issues that actually we might have significant differences over. These people had significant differences. One group said there should be only one altar. The other group said, yeah, we can build another altar. How do you do theological triage? Well, in our setting, we have to think about first order issues in terms of the most important doctrinal truths that we teach and we preach around here all the time. Things like the deity of Christ. Is Jesus God or not? If you don't believe he's God, that's a problem. That's a first-order theological problem. That's going to divide us. Things like the inerrancy of Scripture or the resurrection of Christ or justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Those are first-order theological issues. And that's the reason we have Protestants and Catholics. Because 500 years ago, we had some differences about the nature of justification, how a person is declared righteous before God. That is the main thing. That's something we should fight over. But other things are of less importance. Second order issues of theological importance are things like the mode of baptism or whether women can serve as pastors or elders or whether spiritual gifts are of a miraculous nature. All those things are important. We heard, hold certain truths about those things. You can read our doctrinal statement. Um, we believe that women can serve in any area of leadership within a church except those that are reserved in Scripture for men. And our understanding, you read the New Testament, that the office of an elder or a pastor is reserved for men. And so those are issues that we might have differences over. And that's maybe the reasons why we have all the different denominations because people tend to go into their various tribes on those positions. But you know what? That's not enough to divide us. We're not going to declare war on one another over secondary issues. And by God's grace, we're not going to allow the enemy to start things in here for us to be fighting with one another. Because you know what the reality is? The world is facing a theological crisis. It's bleeding to death, waiting for someone to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And if somehow we spend all of our times fighting with one another, we're not going to get the main thing to the people that need it most. Pastor Trent Griffith has given us clear teaching today on the kinds of things that are worth fighting for. I've heard one pastor say it this way, major on the majors and minor on the minors, in all things love. Well, may God give us discernment to know the difference. We'd like to invite you to Harvest Bible Chapel for one of our weekend worship services on two campuses, St. Joseph, Michigan and Granger, Indiana. 
you'll hear bold teaching from the Word of God, just like you did here today on Resonate. For campus locations and service times, visit us at harvestgranger.org. Well, I'm so glad you were with us today. And join us again next week for part two of the message, How to Prevent Civil War. I'm Aaron Paulus, and I hope that God's Word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.